Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky. Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salut, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And alam, greetings. This is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy Fika. A podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators. Where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden, uh, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down. And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat. So join us. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the FICA. It's great to see you all again. Of course, it's the new year, and we're recording this actually prior to the Christmas break, but by the time people are listening to this, it'll be a happy new year to everybody. This morning, we have a special guest with us, Daniel Malcolm, and I will come to the reason why he's here with us. But unfortunately, our dear colleague, Kristen Yonke, is not able to be with us this morning. She had some things that she had to address urgently, but our love goes out to her. We're thinking about her this morning and all the things that she's having to deal with. And of course, we hope everyone had a happy holidays. We hope they enjoyed a break from their academic duties and other things, and they actually got a respite, some recovery time, which we've talked about before. Daniel, since you're our guest, I wanted to start with you. You know, in a fika, one of the purposes is to share food together. And I'm very interested in what snack you may have brought with you this morning and beverage. I will just jump right in and say I have this wonderful Kroger trail mix that I'm quite a big fan of. Kroger sells these big pound bags of trail mix. And so I eat it probably more like a meal, but definitely snacking on it this morning. And for beverage, I've got actually a local company. It's called Focus, but it's caffeinated sparkling water. This is my favorite flavor, lime and yuzu, but there's no calories, no sweeteners, importantly, like no other ingredients other than caffeine. So they're available, you know, for shipping and stuff, but I have a subscription service. I'm not shilling them, I promise, uh, because I actually do pay for them. But our, our refrigerator in the break room is full of them. I'm like notorious for bringing them to meetings and whatnot. So I figured it would be on brand for me to have one of these. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious what yuzu is. I've never heard of that. Is that a is that a fruit of some sort? Yeah, it's. I think it's like a tropical fruit flavor that kind of goes well with tropical citrus lime things. But it actually makes it taste delicious. And at the interim meeting, actually, last year, I was made fun of at the table by Frank Romanelli and a couple of others because I reached in my bag and pulled out a Focus. And they're like, you brought your own? And I said, well, I didn't think they'd have them here. And, and we have to be clear that Focus is spelled P-H, like it's in yes. pharmacy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's actually a Louisville company. So. Yeah. Boosting the economy there. Yeah. Hey, Tina, what did, what did you bring? So I have my usual Nespresso in a mug given to me by a former graduate student, so I treasure it. It's our holiday cookie exchange today, and I'm, I'm a much better extemporaneous compounder than I am baker. So I decided to go full Jeff Kane, and instead of trying to make cookies, I made Grinch Santas out of grapes, strawberries, and marshmallows. Google it. You'll be very impressed. 
that sounds different. And Jeff and you, what are you up to this morning? <laughs> so special today. I have the sparkling water, but I was digging through my race bag a few days ago looking for something, and I found the remnants of some of my nutrition on my last 52K, and I have four and a half maple bourbon almonds left from that. <laughs> so I thought this would be the perfect time to shocking can consume shocking. <laughs> that half i don't know you might, you might get a little over full there uh, well on the cookie theme one of our staff members peggy duke she made cookies for everyone here in the building and they are molasses cookies which i love and they got a little bit of clove and other kind of flavors in them and i have my cinnamon spice sweet cinnamon spice tea so nice combination this morning well, we asked Daniel to be on the show this morning. Well, I'm not going to steal the thunder because it was actually Jeff who suggested this topic. So let's have Jeff introduce it. So a few years ago, I read the book Curious by Ian Leslie, which then made me curious about curiosity, which led to a paper. And then Daniel wrote a paper and then we did some research together, which is why I invited him here, because I think he has that same interest. And, you know, after I read that, I really got to thinking of how important a role curiosity plays in academia from obviously from the student side. We want them to be curious about the things they're learning, because if they're curious, they're going to spend the time and the effort and do the extra things it takes to learn. But even then, again, from the faculty side, it plays a role in what we what we read, what we write about, what we research, what we present about. So get us started on this discussion, and we can go a million different ways. I thought it would be really just interesting for me to find out, like, what are the different things from your academic career are you curious about and things you're currently interested in learning more and trying to figure out? May we start with Daniel, since he's our guest? So thanks, Jeff. Yeah, like Jeff said, we had worked together on a, a paper on curiosity. So I'd start with that first, kind of a meta curious about curiosity. But other than that, I've got a lot of different interests. And one of the challenges, I think, is bucketing them and making them into to lines of inquiry, because it can be challenging when you're interested in a lot of different things to figure out what to pursue, trying to figure out what to focus on. But one of the things that as a department chair, that I'm interested in is faculty workload and workload satisfaction. That's something I've been pursuing a lot lately. I know it's a hot topic. From a student perspective, I've got a lot of interest in student life when it comes to the way that their personal lives intersect with their professional lives and that whole professional identity formation, identity formation, but also the parts of our ourself that we bring to the workplace. From a teaching standpoint, I'm interested in the storytelling aspects of teaching. There's a lot that we can take from acting into teaching that we probably don't do enough of. And so that's another area of interest for me, but I could keep going. So I will stop. Yeah, I suspect we're all kind of like that. We have broad interests. And that's one of the reasons why it even attracted us to do this podcast and probably why we're in academia, right? People who are in academia, I think, are naturally curious and it's well-suited to them to be in an environment where curiosity is rewarded, <laughs> where you get to pursue the things of greatest interest to you. I'm paid to learn every day, which I think is awesome. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine a better job from that perspective. I'm curious right now about how humans think and how humans learn and what affects that. And, and that's a lot of different 
avenues of inquiry in there. But I just find human beings really interesting. I think that's why I gravitated to as a practitioner to ambulatory care, because there's a lot of human relationships there and figuring out what makes a person tick and what motivates them is part of the therapeutics of the relationship. Really, it's the relationship and how people tick that get to the goals that you want to have. And I think that's also true for our learners. Figuring them out is really fascinating to me. And so learning what motivates people, how they learn and how they think, yeah, piques my curiosity all the time. I do a lot of reading around that. For me, I have a lot of overlap with you guys, but I think one thing that I'm really curious about is phenomena that are happen outside of healthcare and education and how those same lessons might apply in healthcare and education. I think Stuart's right. We, we are very privileged to be in situations where part of our job is to stay curious. I often find we, we go deep and narrow and then we miss really key learnings from other fields. So I, I spend a lot of my time looking around at what's happening outside of healthcare and outside of the academy that might influence that whole learning. So for me, like, like the three of you, I've got a, a disparate set of interest. Most of them, I think, can be uh, readily figured out by the things I've written about and present about. But, but currently, the digital media's role in and our health and wellness and the positive aspects and the negative aspects that then there's always just little tendrils of things just keep popping up from that. But aside from that, I'm really, really curious about sort of the field of behavioral economics and the reasons why people, we do the things we do that aren't rational and understanding those and then using those types of principles into turning it around to help my either myself or students or others actually nudge them towards doing the things that they really want to do, but maybe they don't realize the psychological aspects that are that are keeping them. And then a third one, it's another kind of psychological thing, has to do more with well-being in terms of the strategies, the mental strategies of how people deal with hard times and challenging situations. And overlaying that with, and this would be a surprise to you, Tina, from like ultra marathon runners and trail runners of the strategies used to get through those when the wheels fall off 30 miles in of how those same types of strategies apply in just everyday life. So those are, those are my big ones. Okay. So let me ask this a second question that gets really more you know, into the topic. So I teach pharmacy management and I've taught it for a long time. And I learned a very, very long time ago that most students coming into the course have no to little to negative interest in the course and the topic. And a few years in, I figured out like it's my first job as the teacher of that course might be actually to make them curious about those topics and and how to do that. And there's different things I've tried over the years, but for you all, for the things that you teach and or have taught, are there any particular strategies, methods you do to, to help invoke curiosity among your students, to get them interested and motivated? I, I totally agree with you, Jeff. One of the things that I do kind of across my teaching is, number one, stimulate my own interest in the topic. And that's something that maybe seems very simple, but it's also can be challenging because especially if it's not a topic that you like much, then there's a chance that when you're teaching it, that comes across. And one of my goals as an educator has always been to have the students not know 
that whatever I'm teaching isn't my favorite topic. I, I kind of get, a, I kind of get criticized for that now because they're like, you like everything. <laughs> and I say, well, no, that's my job is to make you think that I like everything. But one of the ways that I do that for both myself and the students is I bring in the narrative elements. One of the things that we don't always appreciate when we're in the moment or when we're learning something is that we didn't always know that thing. And there's a journey to the knowledge that we're conveying or what the story that we're telling. There's a journey to which you come in at the middle of it, especially in pharmacy. There's a lot about drug development, drug discovery, how things happen that I think bring in a lot of the narrative elements. I I use HIV as an example now. And so if if you don't know that history, it really makes it difficult to understand the perspective. But the example I was going to talk about was I, I coordinate a medication safety course, and that is not something I trained for. It's not something that I would have like said 10 years ago, I'm going to be coordinating medication safety. And I don't really put it on my things. Well, what are you interested in? Drug errors and reporting. <laughs> Taking that approach, I said, what is it that interests me about this? It's a weird story, but I had like a really bad viral GI illness a couple of years ago, and that made me stuck in the house, and I was watching television. And there was this show that I stumbled on called Mayday, Air Crash Investigation. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So there were like 16 seasons at that point. And so that was enough for me to get over, to make me through. But I watched all the episodes that I could, and I was was hooked. Their stories were about aviation incidents, not always crashes, but just incidents, what happened, the investigation, and how aviation changed as a result of it. And the more I watched this, the more I found a lot of overlap between healthcare and aviation. So I did some digging and found I wasn't the only one who thought that. There's a lot of data out there about the link between aviation and healthcare, and particularly in the non-technical soft skills area with leadership, teamwork, communication, that type of thing. And so I said, hmm, are we teaching this? Is anyone doing this? And so I said, There's a great overlap here. This is a fantastic story. And most importantly, I can set it up for the students as I'm going to be talking about plane crashes. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. And almost like a a tease, I say, ah, but wait, you will understand the link just like I did. And so I convey everything almost in the same narrative way that I learned it. And And to me, that sparks their curiosity. What is this link? What are these two disparate things and how do they link together? And the connection between those is what I'm trying to make clear for the students. So that's one of the ways that I've done it in my course design, invoking curiosity. What I love about that is this idea of creating some cognitive dissonance. So what you created there was this cognitive dissonance between what is aviation and plane crashes have got to do with all of this. And that sparks an interest in it because it just doesn't make sense to the students. And and that's one of the things that I do try to do is start off with something that is either a mystery or something that's counterintuitive or something that is like, you think you know this, but this is the finding. And how could we explain this? I'll, I'll give an example that I use in our teaching and learning certificate program. I have these two meta-analyses that I give to the, the participants and say, one meta-analysis says active learning doesn't work. And this other meta-analysis says it clearly works and traditional methods are horrible. And how can these two meta-analyses, which are summaries of the literature, come to such very different conclusions And of course, when they dive into it a bit, they realize that two articles are based on different kinds of literature, different age groups, all sorts of things that are different about them. But it's just piquing their interest about how could these two pieces of literature come to a different conclusion. 
And so that's the mystery we have to, to solve here. One of the ways that I try to do this in my course, and I'll give an example for the first block of material, which is what I call managing people. So it's everything about people. And some of this is, is human resources. And there's not a much more drier topic on this earth than human resources. I do some little asynchronous assignments or some little short videos. One of them is five things you should know about romance at work. So that that's a little different thing. And there's another video of dealing with workplace drama. So people have probably all had some experiences or seen or heard of both of those. They're a little short, they're five minute things, but then those can then segue into the actual class. Well, how do you discipline? Can you discipline? What's a fireball offense? How do you go about doing it? And then another sort of example on the same lines, there is a video, there's a TED Talk video by John Ronson and it's titled Online Shaming. And it was a an incident of it's been several years now, but this woman tweeted this off-color joke to her 120 followers. So it was funny that they know her. Well, it got in the wrong hands of the wrong person. And so she got on a plane. But by the time she got off the plane, it had spread viral. And then you had people calling her work, trying to get her fired death, all kinds of threats against her. I use that to sum a whole lot of things about from the workplace employer, how much do you pay from people complaining to you about employees? And should she have been fired? Because that was not anything to do with their work. And then it segues into if you're hiring someone and you see something on the social media, how does that affect do you hire them or not? So those are the types of things I try to bring in a maybe a personal, interesting types of things. I hope they work. I think they do. <laughs> Watch the video. The video is really interesting. It still holds true today, I think, of just some of the issues sure. with with digital media and, and speech. In school as a pharmacy student, I had great teachers. I went to Ole Miss undergrad. I knew my teachers wanted to teach. They cared about me. They were there. I didn't always love the management course, but I... I I thought back to how did those people plant seeds and recognize that sometimes you have a fast blossoming plant and sometimes you have a very slow blossoming plant. And so over time, I've gotten more patient at, I may not even be a part of this, this learner's life when this seed blossoms, but the seed is still there. And we water that seed and we nurture that seed. And at some point it will blossom. I think taking that, my need for seeing the immediate effect of that instruction has given me a little bit more patience. Yep. Jeff, I wanted to add something about the epistemic curiosity. The research lays out two main types. There's interest type and there's deprivation type. And the deprivation type is probably what we're more familiar with where we create a gap where we say later at 11, this food might kill you. Find out what food it is later at 11. That's creating deprivation because I don't know that food and I have to go find out what it is. And so that's a gap that, that is created. And that's a, that's actually a really immediately powerful type of curiosity, but it's not necessarily long lasting. Once I find out that food, I'm done. I'm not going to go and find out what other foods would, would kill me. I'm not going to go pursue that further. And then the interest type is is a lot more difficult. It's more of the wonder. It's more of the, the kind of innate push, the real deep-seated want to know more about a topic. It's harder to get momentum, but much more difficult to stop. 
where you keep going further and further because you're innately interested in it. And one of the challenges that we face is that it's tempting from a curiosity standpoint to do deprivation type, that that next at 11 or later at 11 type thing. And that might be powerful in the moment, but are we doing enough to focus the students on getting them innately interested in something of their own? And that's just one of the challenges that we face in kind of leveraging curiosity is trying to figure out how to spark that interest type because we know it's much more long lasting. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that's the one thing that I kind of struggle with is how do we create that innate motivation towards something that they're personally interested in. The only thing that I've ever been able to employ is create some choice in assignments. So I have to do this assignment in class, but I can create some choice about what topic you pursue, the format of the the output that you have, the deliverable. Is it something in writing? Is it an oral report? So creating choice hopefully stimulates internal motivation because they've chosen what they're going to do. But what's the secret sauce of stimulating someone's curiosity in general and about a particular topic specifically? I think that's, that is very challenging. I feel innately I have it. Not about everything. I have to say, my curiosity does not extend to medicinal chemistry. I will just say that. <laughs> I'll be upfront about it. But there's lots of things that I'm curious about. But I think there's limits to our curiosity. I mean, we can't be interested in everything, I don't think. Maybe there's some people who are, but I, I will admit that I am not. Well, Stuart, I think that's actually a really good point. Some of the earlier research and, you know, the curiosity research has expanded greatly. But I I actually like some of that early research when they talk about the components of stretching and embracing. Because stretching to me, innately, there's a little bit of discomfort, right? You're using muscles differently. And possibly when we were younger, and I'm not glorifying the old days, but to be curious, you had to go to the library. You had to get the one book. There was a physicality to, to the stretching part. Now, I think that the physicality of stretching is not necessarily there. And so it could even feel, you know, I, I just went for a run for, and I hadn't been for a couple of weeks. Of course, now my calves are really sore, but I know that that's what it's like. I know what that feels like. I know it's not going to kill me. I know it's part of me getting stronger again. But I do have some concerns that the stretching part of curiosity might be something that the modern learner, it, it feels too much like, well, that's pain. Avoid pain, right? Let me, let me switch to another task immediately before I, I stretch enough to get to the embracing phase. So... I'm going to read something from the Curious Book, and actually, this was the, this is the way I started off the paper, but it I think it parallels w- well with what you said, Tina. So, from the book, the internet presents us with more opportunities to learn than ever before, and allows us not to bother. <laughs> so, people who are inclined to set off on intellectual adventures will have more opportunity to do so than ever before in human history. People who merely seek quick answers will fall out of the habit of asking their own or never acquired in their first place. So I think that does get to the point of the stretching because all this information is our hands so much, you don't really have to often think too hard about something. You're just like, I don't know. So I'm just going to Google the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I never need to think deeply about, well, why is that the answer? 
it's funny to me that we have technologies that aid us and now we have technologies to prevent us from using those technologies, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's a big old Mobius strip right there. <laughs> yeah. But think about it like this. Do you think that, you know, before our, before our ancestors settled and had agriculture, do you think they could have ever imagined that we would put things in our stomach to expand it so that we would feel full? Yeah. So that we wouldn't eat so much. I mean, yes. it's 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 hard to fathom because yeah. they were hunters and gatherers going yeah. from place to place worried about starving. And now we are putting devices in us yeah. to make us not eat so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like to Jeff's and Stuart's point, it's our it's how our brains work. It's how right. we're wired. Yeah. Jeff had the quote from the, the, the book, Curious. And I love the quote that you used at the beginning of your article, Daniel, which was Google can answer anything you want, but it can't tell you what you ought to be asking. And I think that's one of the skills that we should be inculcating. And I don't know if there's a, a great mechanism and perhaps you've tried this, Daniel, because you're curious about this topic, is how to get students to stimulate their own questions. Because I think that's a big part of curiosity, right? I, I did love that quote because in my head, I'm thinking of a blinking cursor. The, uh -huh. the blinking cursor is just like when you're writing something, right? You don't know what's going to come out. You don't know how it's going to go. So the next question is, what is your question? How do you approach that? And that's one of the ways that in, in my both in the teaching and experiential and didactic, I talked to the students about what questions you would ask and how you would think about those questions. And I think one of the challenges that we face with pharmacy is that all of this information is available, but it's not synthesized. So in thinking about what a good choice would be, what's a better choice? What's the best choice? And then what will the patient take? Or what, what does the patient want to take? You know, those are all decisions that are part of the process. And it's a piece of art because it has a balance. It has flow. It has symmetry. It has design. And, and the it I'm talking about here is just the patient care experience. And so in... In the classroom setting, I, I let the students reflect a lot. I think that's one of the biggest things. It, it's hard at first, like anything, because I want to know what you're learning because it's part of my it's part of my journey as an educator, but it's part of your journey as a learner. I want to know what I'm learning when I learn too. And when I actually take the opportunity to express it and to talk about it, I stimulate my own questions. I say, wait a minute, does that make sense to me? Because I'm having to talk to, talk about it out loud. And the critical reflection process in, in courses that I've used it in has actually been really helpful for both performance improvement, making mm -hmm. the course better, but also helping the students guide how they're learning and how it moves toward the next thing and drawing the lines for themselves, if that makes sense, not the lines I've told them to draw. Yeah, I like that a lot. I teach personal and professional development in our curriculum, and I do talk about critical reflection. I will say a lot of the students, because this starts in their P1 and P2 years, resist the whole reflection things. It seems performative to them, and they don't particularly like it. But there are a few. I would say, you know, 20, 25% of the students who seem to like writing reflections and also digging deep, like questioning their thinking, questioning what their beliefs are. It leads to as many questions as they begin to answer. And I love those essays because it means they're thinking about it, right? Versus just reporting about something they did. And 
reporting is no fun. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't care exactly what you did. What I want is to understand what it raised in you in terms of what you learned about yourself and what are the things that you still need to learn, like the curiosity from it. Because I never made the connection between critical reflection and curiosity, but now I see it. I, I think critical reflection is probably top five core skills that I've ever learned. But I tell my students that didn't come easily. I think critical reflection is like napping. When I was young, I did not want to take a nap. <laughs> now I would pay money to take a nap every day. You know? But I think there are ways, first of all, something about the word reflection, immediately they turn into those like Coraline dead eyes looking at you. But you know, you can use skills like having them reflect in a soap note format or those kinds of things that, that can perhaps entice them. I think the connection between that meta understanding how and what and why, that's the thing that the computer won't be able to tell us. I think making the invisible of our cognition and curiosity visible to them shows them that it's okay to feel that way too. So thank you all for this discussion. We could probably go another three hours on it, but I think the big points I took away from this in terms of, of curiosity is we, we, we were in academia because we're curious. And I think that probably spans across all fields, all departments. It was good to see that we have multiple interests that that makes us curious and that we're all struggling with, well, how do I narrow down? Because I can't study everything that I want to <laughs> study and I can't do everything of how we narrow that down. Some of the other big things, how do we promote curiosity? And it really didn't come out and exactly say it, but we danced around it as Ian Leslie described this difference between mysteries and problems and problems have a, an answer, and when you have the answer, it's over and you're done, whereas mysteries never are really solved, so you can keep coming back to them. And I think we do a lot of teaching of problems. Here's the problem. Here's the answer. And I think that leads students to think, well, everything is a – there's a problem and there's an answer. And once you get the answer, or if you know the answer, then that's all you need to know. There's a, so much more great nuggets here that I hope people – take away from it. Yeah, this has been a terrific episode and I really appreciate everyone being here. We would love in the new year for people to give us some topics. What are you curious about? What do you want to learn more about? What do you want to hear us talk about? And perhaps even suggesting guests that we should invite to the FICA to talk about things that affect academia, academic life, and the whole learning enterprise that we are all engaged in and care so much about. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Have a great new year. Goodbye. Thanks for uh, having me. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fika, but please be kind. This is a safe space. Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash Pharmacy Fika. Bye for now. Namaste. Das Vidanya. Au revoir. Thank you.